0: Welcome back to Anyone's Game with KC and Andy. Why are you doing that dance? It's the music. It makes me happy. This is a board game podcast by two gamer nerd brothers uh, to spotlight board games that may have been passed over on the shelf for a while or just replaced by a newer game, games that anyone can play. My name is KC, and that, of course, is my brother, Andy. Hello again, everybody, and welcome, and we hope you enjoyed our theme music as much as I did. <laughs> now, um, first, before we get into our not so new games, we've got some great not so new games. Yeah, um, and we also have a different uh, segment on that we've done in the past. And speaking of the past, what is this segment called? It's called Vintage View. Yes, an older game that we grew up with. That's oh right. man, it brings back so many memories. <laughs> um, and I cannot wait to talk about that game. But before we do. Let's talk about a little feedback that we had from our last episode, where um, we talk about games that anyone can play. And one of the games that I highlighted uh, was Small World. And I love this game. It's a game that um, I played with my kids. And I play online with my kids. And it seemed, (laughs) we were saying, it seems really daunting when you look at it. But it's much more simple than it seems. Now, what was some of the feedback, Andy?
1: Yeah, so the feedback was that Small World wasn't really a game that anyone can play because it's a little bit heavier than the games we normally talk about. Um, The age is a little bit higher, maybe, and the gameplay time is higher. But I think the perception is that Small World being... I guess you could call one of the foundational hobby games, and we call them gateway games. Ah! Uh. You go. All, all right. right. How many minutes into this episode and you shout off the GND? <laughs>
0: if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, that, of course, is the GND. The Gamer Nerd yep. Detector. If we drop any phrase that major board gamers and gamer nerds like ourselves use all the time, uh, we have to explain That's it. Right. So, Andy, since you did it, you explain it. What is a gateway game?
1: So, a gateway game is uh, the word gateway kind of means entrance into or something that allows you entrance into something, a gateway. And a Gateway game is a game that um, gamer nerds have termed and the hobby have termed as a game that will uh, is a stepping stone from a simpler game to a more expanded world of much more complicated games that many people might play. So, a gateway game is your stairway to heaven. No, your stairway, <laughs> <laughs> your gateway to more complicated games, themes, and all kinds of other aspects. Uh, of of the hobby gaming world. So gateway game.
0: And Small World is a bit of a
1: gateway game because we talked about Area Control. Yep. Sent off the Gamer Nerd Detector last time. It's already detected it. So we do have that residual setting on the Gamer Nerd Detector where it already logs what's been talked about. Exactly. So it doesn't set it off automatically all the time.
0: So an Area Control game like Risk... Um, Is a fairly basic game, area control game. And this is like the next step, the stairway to heaven. Um, Now, (laughs) it's interesting because Small World, it's listed as ages eight and up. And so some of the feedback was it's not necessarily a game that anyone can play. So you and I got on a really big, long discussion about, okay, so what is a game? that anyone can play, that we highlight
1: on this podcast. Right, or what specifically, who's anyone? Like, what does anyone mean? Does that mean a three-year-old can play it by (laughs) themselves? Right? No. No, No, I don't think so. In fact, there are a lot of games that have age ratings on games that you really couldn't play. You can't give that game to them, let them sit down at a table, figure out, they would figure it out and play it by themselves with their friends. Sure. And Small World is a perfect example. You can't hand Small World to an eight-year-old and say, "Hey, play this with your eight-year-old friends." That's right, you can't. But with the guidance of an adult or a family member or someone who's played it before, it's easy enough for an eight-year-old to play it because there's very little reading, um, mm-hmm. very little um, uh, like computation that like, goes into kind of like mathematically figuring out how the best move would work. Yes, um, a lot of that age dependency is based on those things kind of literacy and being able to strategize a few turns ahead of time so whether you see an age rating on a game it doesn't necessarily mean that game is just for that age range it means that it's comprehensible by that age range with probably help from adult wouldn't you agree i completely agree or some
0: podcasters that know about games that (laughs) we can help them out. And one of the things, we go to boardgamegeek.com. It's a great website. And one of the ratings they also have on there is a complexity rating. That's right. And I find that really interesting too. They do out of uh, five And like Small World has a 2.35 out of five. So it's on the lower end of complexity, which is very true. And I think that's why I wanted to share it as a game, a family game that anyone can play. Those are good arguments. Yeah, those are good arguments. Yeah, they are. And when we talk about what games we're going to talk about in the podcast, seriously, every time Andy's like, is that a game anyone can play?
1: And then I'm like, I'll have to think about it. That's right. We do think about it. And we think about the games um, from a, a standpoint of have we played them? Do we have experience with them? All the games we feature are games that we've played or have experience with, mm-hmm. and I think it's safe to say that we want to feature them not just because we think they're good games, but because we think they're accessible, and I think accessibility is the key to what anyone is. That's right. It doesn't mean three-year-olds by themselves. It doesn't mean... That's right. <laughs> Some games have age 1 to 99 on it. <laughs> so I'll tell you right now, I don't know many 99-year-olds that would play anything anymore.
0: <laughs> or one-year-olds. Because <laughs> they'd be like...
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They'd be like, I don't want to play this. Anyway. <laughs> that was a really good 99-year-old. Thanks. Just grumpy. <laughs> so accessibility means easy to teach, easy to learn, and somewhat easy to play. Easy to play once you get a couple of turns under your belt. Like most games, you do need to play a couple of times just to to have experience enough to be confident to play. Yes. And, and no one's going to be perfect at a game right out of the gate. So anyone means accessibility, really. That's what I think. There you go. And, and also,
0: these are some of the games that I believe and why I want to share them on the podcast is that the more you play these games, the more you learn these games, the more you're going to love these games and want to
1: share them with other people. And
0: that's why I love these games. They're, they're not going to
1: be one off. That's right. Yeah, games in and of themselves are a social... Um... A social experience, and they should be shared and should be played uh, with other people. Even solo games, when you play solo games. And Casey and I talk a lot about solo games, and we talk a lot about computer games that we've played and going on adventures on a computer. You're playing that by yourself, but you actually share it because you're having an experience. So um, accessibility and being able to share that experience. So good explanation, Case. So now we get
0: to our segment that I love. I can't wait to hear what you have on this segment, Andy. It's time for Not So New... So, Andy, my not-so-new game is a game that you and I have played many a time because it's one of my favorite, favorite games, Jaipur. Now, Jaipur is from 2009. It's a card game for two players only. Now, the box says ages 12 and up. But the general consensus online is maybe 8 and up, 10 and up. It all depends. Um, It's definitely a game anyone can play, in my opinion. It's made by GameWorks and is always listed as one of the best two-player games ever. Yep, I'd have to agree with that. In Jaipur. You're hoping to become the Maharaja's personal trader. By amassing more riches than your opponent at the end of each week. To do so, collect, exchange goods at the market, sell them for rupees. If you manage to arrange a bigger sale, you'll receive an award. The camels have no sale value, but they're very useful for trading, especially when you want a lot of goods from the market. So... In Jaipur, you set up the game by putting out the goods tokens by type. There are expensive goods like diamonds, gold, and silver. There's cloth, spice, and leather. Now, these goods tokens have points on them. And when you sell goods, you'll take those tokens to get those points. And some tokens have a lot of points on them, some less. Some will start with bigger points and then get smaller as the tokens are taken. Get the most points at the end of the game, you win. Now, here's what you do to set up. You take out three camel cards from the deck, which has all those goods in it, the diamonds and the leather and the whatnot. You put three camels in a line between you and the other player, and then you shuffle the rest of the cards. Then you'll deal two more into that line. So you're going to have five cards total in the market. Then you deal five cards to both players. That's your hand. And if you were dealt any camels, you have to put them in a stack in front of you. That's your camel herd. And camels will always go there. They're never in your hand. Then you play. Now, Andy, you know I love games that you only have a few choices on your turn, right? And then that kind of turns into other strategies. That's right. In Jaipur, you can only do one of two things on your turn. You can take cards or you can sell cards. That's it. And if you decide to take cards, you can take one card from the market. Boom, your turn is over. You could take several goods cards from the market by exchanging the same amount of cards from your hand. And this is where camels come in, too. Like, let's say you want four cards from the market, but you only want to get rid of two from your hand. You can exchange the two from your hand and two of your camels, then take the four you want. Boom, your turns over. Or you could take all the camels from the market and put them in your herd. Boom, turns over. That's the taking the cards. Then you refill the market from the cards from the top of the deck. One tough part, and this is something Andy and I always battle with back and forth is... You can only have seven cards in your hand, maximum. So you may want four cards out of that market, but you don't have room for it. So uh, it's challenging that way. Now, you're going to do this by taking these cards to try to get matching cards in your hand. The leather, the cloth, the spice. And the more cards you have of one single good, it's going to help in the sell cards part of your turn. If you decide not to take the cards, you can sell goods cards. So you pick what good it is. Let's say leather. Uh, Discard as many copies of that card in that type and take that many tokens matching that good. Simple enough. So let's say I have two leather cards. I sell them by discarding them. I'll take the top two leather tokens. They have the points on them and I'll get those points at the end of the game. But what if you sell more than that? Like I have four leather cards in my hand you'll get a bonus. There are bonus tokens for selling three, four, or five matching goods cards. And those bonus tokens stay hidden from your opponent. There are different point values on those tokens. So it's cool. Your opponent's not going to know exactly how many points you're sitting with. So that's it. You take or you sell. Then it's the next player's turn. And you play back and forth and back and forth until three types of goods tokens are completely gone. Or there are no cards left in the draw pile when you try to refill the market. And scoring's cool. Like like I said, the hidden bonus tokens always add up uh, with your goods tokens that you've already taken. And there's a camel token, which is worth five points. It goes to the player with the most camels at the end of the hand. Now, whoever wins that game... Gets a Seal of Excellence token. And when I play the game, you have to yell, Jaipur! (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like Wheel of Magical Goodness, but Jaipur. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So then you get the Seal of Excellence token, like you won that hand, and you play another hand. And whichever player gets two Excellence tokens wins the game. In other words, you play the best of three.
1: And that... is (laughs) is
0: Jaipur!
1: <laughs> I love this game. It's good. And um so a little discussion here. This is, you're collecting sets of cards. Yes. So if you've ever played Go Fish ah, or Rummy, yes. or anything like that, you want to collect sets of cards, mm-hmm. right? So the way you do that is you either take them from the market or you trade them with the market, right? Right. But in this game, those sets... Um, of matching colors are worth certain points based on how many you have and that's a great part of the game. We always talk about how uh, simple games have great decisions and the decisions in this game is I have three cards. Do I hold those cards in my hand and wait for the fourth to get a really good bonus token or do I cash it in to make sure I make those piles deplete because as Casey said... Once three piles are gone, the round ends and whoever has the most points wins. So sometimes you want to rush to end the round because you feel like you're winning. Yes. Um those it that's a great decision in this game where normally in a in a game where you're just kind of collecting sets of cards, you just collect as many as you can a, a, yes. as quickly as you can. Yeah. And another thing about that is um with the the lower goods like the leather, There are a
0: lot more leather cards in the deck than there are diamonds and gold. So you may be able to get six leathers to trade in and get goods. But if you get 4
1: diamonds, yeah. it's worth a lot more points and but you're not knowing if you're going to get them. That's right. Great. And it right, always right. happens to me too. So when you take a card from the market, it refills. There's you you draw a card and put it in the market. No exactly so what you're going to you, say too. And I don't know what it is. It's fate or something, but like I have a red card in my hand and I want a red card, but there's not one in the market. So I take one of the card. <laughs> I take the brown card. And the next card that pops up is red, and it's Casey's turn, and guess who gets it? <laughs> and I take that card because I know you want it. He takes it. It's like, no, that was mine. Yeah, so there's a great give and take with playing this game with, I don't know why that always happens, but it always seems like you yeah. just don't get the card you want when you want it, um, and that's what makes it really interesting.
0: That's another part of this game, and, and something we've never really talked about on this podcast, is the balance of strategy versus luck, rolling dice, shuffling and drawing cards. Uh, this one is a really good one because there are several different strategic things you can do. If your opponent, like my brother Andy, has seven cards in his hand, I know he's going to have to trade with the market and, and I may just take all the camels yeah, because then it gets refilled with all these cards and now if, if you want to get cards that you want, you're going to have to trade. Trade or sell. it's, yeah. it's a, There's some really interesting strategic moves here and it goes really fast once you learn the game. It's a beautiful game.
1: It is. And you know, another interesting thing, and you touched on at the end, is you play two out of three. Mm -hmm. So you can have a really horrible first round and go, I'm coming back, and have a great second round. Yeah, It's really good. I don't know many games where you play two out of three as a part of the gameplay, where I can't think of one offhand. True. Uh, I have one. Um Lost Cities. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we talked about that maybe on our first episode, second episode. That's right. That's episode, right. That's episode. right. Yeah, yeah, that's a two out of three game as well. So it's good. It gives you a feeling like you. you still in it's it. not win or lose. Yeah, you're still in yeah. it. Yep, that's so right. that
0: is Jaipur. You can pick it up. Anywhere, anywhere there are games, please go to your friendly local game store first because you got to support those local uh, stores in your community. Uh, You can get it online. And right now, I'm going to see how much it is at the time of this
1: recording. And it's (laughs) about 25 bucks. Yeah. Nice two player game. Really quick, really fun. Yeah. Good choice, Case. Anyone can play it. Jaipur! So that's my not so (laughs) new game, Andy. Your turn. All right. My not so new game is a very exciting game that I really enjoy with my family. And it's called Gravwell. Now, the game was originally printed in 2013 under the name Gravwell Escape from the Ninth Dimension. (laughs) Nice echo effect. But Renegade Games reprinted it in 2021 with the name Gravwell 2.0. And they made some basic upgrades to the game. They increased the number of players, and they also added um, a little bit different art, as well as some special cards for each player that can um, enhance the gameplay enjoyment a little bit. Cool. It's four, ages 10 and up, and number of players is two to six. And the game can last anywhere between maybe 30 to 45 minutes. Um, It can go on a bit longer if everybody stops and thinks too much, but really, (laughs) uh, it's about 40 minutes. You're among a flotilla of ships that survived passing through a black hole. The fabric of space and the general physics you've known have changed. You quickly discover that your engines are offline but you can navigate crudely using your tractor and repulsor beams. By mining asteroids and collecting raw elements from space dust, you muster just enough force to move your spacecraft. You lock onto another object, perhaps spacecraft, and creep toward it. But just as you're about to engage your tractor beam, its captain engages his beam, catapulting his ship past you. If you don't act quickly, you'll be pulled the wrong direction. It's a real mind bender. Yeah. So,
0: I don't know this game. I'm really excited for you to uh, tell me about this game.
1: Good. So, Gravwell, um, it was originally published in uh, 2013 from Renegade Games. It was called Gravwell Escape from the Ninth Dimension. Um, It's recently been reprinted in 2021 as Gravwell 2.0. And what they did, basically, is they added a couple of more players and things like that. Uh, The game now, the second edition game, is for two to six players, ages 10 and up. And the game lasts about 40 minutes. Now, in Gravwell, you have a spaceship and you are... uh, have entered through a warp gate and your goal is to be the first spaceship to escape this dimension by landing on the warp gate at the opposite end of a spiral. So you have to travel on a spiral to another warp gate to get out of this black hole. And that is the goal of the game. The first person to gets to a warp gate wins. Now, how you do this is you set up the game. You place the game board in the middle of the table. And then you have two space junk tokens that kind of go on these spaces. And they're just kind of floating through space, <laughs> right? The game plays in six rounds. And so there's a round tracking token that goes on the bottom of the board. So you put it on round number one. And after six rounds, the game is going to end. So that token will move as you play. Then each player chooses a spaceship, and the spaceships have real great kind of stories behind them, personalities. We won't get into it. We'll let you discover that by yourself. But each of the ship spaceships is a different color and has a different ability and kind of a race behind it. And then also each spaceship has four ability cards that are unique to that race. So you have four cards that can break the rules that let you do something kind of cool and different yourself. So you place all your ships on the inner warp gate. The board depicts a big black hole in the center with a spiral of spaces moving out to the edge of the board to another warp gate, and everybody places their ships on the, on the center warp gate. Then you shuffle cards. There's um, fuel cards in the game, and you shuffle these cards. You deal six to each player. Uh, you place the unused cards away from the play area, and you're ready to begin the game. So this game is all about movement, and the key to the movement is the cards. Now, um, the reason each card is important because each card contains three elements. There's a number on the card from one to 10, and that's the number of spaces that would you, you would move when you play that card. There's a letter from A to Z represented like by an element. It's really cool. They're called um, fuel cards because you're mining element from space. A U is uranium, a B for boron, stuff like that. Really kind of cool. cool. Yeah, um, and then the third element is a color and a symbol which shows how you move the ships on the board. Really, the, I'm going to intentionally set off the GND right now Uh-oh. because the only way to describe what you do on your turn is to say it's a simultaneous action selection game. <laughs> Yeah! Yeah, you definitely set it off on that one.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> all right. What is a simultaneous selection action
1: game? Almost simultaneous action selection. What is a simultaneous action selection game, Andy? A simultaneous action selection game is a game where every player secretly chooses an action and then reveals them all at the same time. So nobody really knows what each player is going to do until everything is revealed all at once. And you might remember, we talked about this in another game that we featured, although we didn't set off the GND with this term. It was ink and gold. Ink and gold. That's right. Ink and gold. We talked about that being a push-your-luck game, but it's also a simultaneous action selection game. Anyway, on with the podcast. So the cards each have those three elements. On your turn, you choose one of the cards in your hand, and you play it face down. Everyone simultaneously reveals it. And you look at the cards, and in an alphabetical order, based on the element, again, each element is represented by a, a letter, in alphabetical order, you move your ship or other ships based on the number on the card. Right. There are four different colors or abilities to move the ships. There is um, a tractor, which is the most common one, which is a, it's a blue card. And a blue card moves your ship or pulls your ship towards the closest object on the board. A red card repels your ship away from the closest object on the board. Okay. Hmm. So if I play a blue two, Interesting. I look at the closest object on the board and I pull myself two spaces toward it. Like a tractor beam. Exactly. Tractor beam. A repel red card, if I had a red two, it would push my ship the opposite direction away from the closest object. All right. So those are the two main ones. There's two other colors, purple and orange. So purple pulls all other objects toward you that number (laughs) of spaces. So you don't actually move your ship, you move everything else on the board toward you. Cool. An orange card, or repulsor, pushes all other objects away from you, that number. So there's really just four ways to move. You move towards the closest object, away from the closest object, or you pull all objects to you or push them all away, the number on the card that you played. Again, the goal is to move along this track. It's a single track that moves from the center of the board to the outside of the board. But it gets really crazy because as people move, a ship is an object, so if you moved past me and I played a, a card that repelled then I would go backwards away from you because you are the closest object to me. Mm. And so in that way, every turn develops very interestingly based on not only where you are on the board, but the order uh, of the cards are played in alphabetical order. So if I go first, that's ah. great. If I go last, my, my position on the board could be completely different. <laughs> and oftentimes you end up propelling yourself backward toward the black <laughs> hole accidentally and being sucked back <laughs> into the black hole. Into okay. the grav well. That's right. And that's why it's called that. After all players have simultaneously revealed and played their first card and moved their ships, then everyone chooses a second card in their hand, plays it face down, reveal it, alphabetical order. Everybody moves their ship again based on the card they played, either towards the closest object, away, or pulling all things towards them or all objects away. You do this for all cards in your hand. You play six cards. That is the end of one round. If someone has made it to the actual opposite warp gate, the game's over, it can happen. People (laughs) catapult themselves really far in one turn and sometimes it happens that way because they play their cards perfectly. But usually it doesn't happen that way. (laughs) Usually you get at least three or four rounds in because you're all over the place. So that's the first round. Something very interesting happens in setting up the subsequent rounds. As I said in the beginning of the game, cards are shuffled and dealt six to each player. In subsequent rounds, cards are mined. In other words, like mining ore. Hmm. You set out stacks of three cards based on the number of players. Two of the cards are face up, and one is face down. And the person who's closest to the middle of the board chooses one of those piles of three cards. And that becomes half of their hand. And then the next person chooses in player order until all players have chosen two stacks They have six cards in their hands, and now they continue to play the next round as before, playing one card at a time and moving their ship accordingly. Hmm. The reason this is interesting is because when you mine cards, you have stacks of three cards. You can see two of them, but one of them is hidden. You don't know exactly what card you're getting but you can definitely see a couple of the cards which will add to your strategy. Like maybe you need to move really far or maybe you want to repel people away from you so you choose some of the more tricky cards. A very cool in-between round aspect of this game where you don't just deal cards out to people, but you actually get to choose them based on some information that you have in front of you. And the game continues. Uh, You play as many rounds, you up to six, but as soon as someone's ship reaches that warp point, the game ends immediately. You all throw up your hands. And cheer and uh, and Gravwell has ended successfully for at least one of the ships. Everyone else kind of gets catapulted into the black hole and I guess they're destroyed. I'm not sure <laughs> who <laughs> knows, float on endlessly in the in a in a quantum singularity. So, how about how long does it take? Because you've played this game with your kids too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's only about 30 or 40 minutes. I think the only obstacle for learning the game for children younger than 10 is, is how the cards work because they do have those three aspects to them. You're not just playing a card and moving a number. When you play a card, if it's a letter higher in the alphabet, like A, B, or C, you're going to go first. Right. Um, so planning that ahead of time and saying, well, I'm going to play an S because it's lower in the alphabet and I need to kind of see what other people do. Ah. So that kind of forward thinking takes a little bit of getting used to and how they use the cards. But when it comes right down to it, You can play this game with younger than 10-year-olds and just have fun because it's really goofy when you play a card and like, oh, my gosh, my ship just went backwards eight spaces. I had no idea that was going to happen. And oftentimes it happens. Yeah, it happens to adults. Wow, this sounds really, really fun. It's really simple and fun. Um, This game, again, is by Renegade Games, and you can find it at your friendly local game store or go to uh, RenegadeGames.com. They have it for sale there. How much is it? it's around $45 uh, probably at your friendly local game store and online as well. So reach out and grab Gravwell for a crazy fun anti-gravity time.
0: Man, I really want to play that game with you. It sounds really fun. But we've got to do our next segment. Vintage View. <laughs> So these are games that Andy and I maybe grew up playing, maybe you grew up playing, and it's time to blow the dust off of them, pull them off the shelf, and today, Andy, we're talking about... What are we talking about? Screaming Eagles. Oh, man, yes. Screaming Screaming Eagles. Eagles. (laughs) The memories I have of playing this game with my fun brother, Andy, this is a game a jet fighter dogfight game from 1987, made by a little company called Milton Bradley, which is owned by Hasbro now. Um, it's for two to four players, ages 10 and up. Plays in about 20 minutes or so, wouldn't you say? If, if yeah. you're lucky. So let me check out what it says in the box here. <laughs> Roar into combat and lead your squadron to victory. Enemy fighters have just invaded your airspace. Your job, shoot them down. You're fully armed with deadly missiles and cannons, but your opponents are equally well-prepared, and they'll stop at nothing to blast you out of the sky. Plan each move carefully. Try to think like the enemy thinks. Fly to the left, right, or straight. Loop around behind the enemy, then fire! If you can destroy your opponents, you'll rule the skies! Screaming <laughs> Eagles.
1: Man, that is great. This is a great guy. Uh, Tom Cruise would be
0: proud. <laughs> I'm going to be in Top Gun 3. Why not? In Screaming Eagles, just like you heard, you have to shoot down the other planes. That's it. Now, if you're playing two players, each player plays two planes. Three players, one player will play two planes, and the other two players play a plane each. You get it. And four players, teams, 2v2. That's right. There's only four planes. There's only four planes in the game. That's right. That's cool. There's blue and there's tan, and each player gets a plane, and so then it's the blue team versus the tan team. So here's how you play Screaming Eagles. Screaming Eagles. The board is laid on the table. It has a diamond-shaped pieces. All of the awesome plastic planes that are on stands, they're really cool planes from 1987, right? Yeah, they are. they're really cool. They're awesome. So they start at the bottom of the board, and each player has a deck of command cards, which will move your plane. And each player gets a battle board, and that battle board is cool. It has the outline of your jet, little holes to mark where your plane gets damaged, and your weapons, too. So you have these little pegs showing that, like, you have eight cannon fire shots. Pegs. Pegs, Pegs, yes. (laughs) you
1: love pegs.
0: It is so vintage view board (laughs) game, pegs. Um, There's three medium-range missiles and two long-range missiles. Then there's dice, black dice that move your plane that have the numbers one, two, or three on them. And then red, battle dice that have a zero, two, or five. And I'll explain how those work in just a second. The blue squadron always goes first. Then it'll alternate tan, blue, tan. You move one plane, then your opponents move. So on your turn, this is a very, very simple game. You choose a command card, which will say which direction to move your jet and how many black dice to roll for the distance of the move, right? So you can go to the left, roll two dice, find out how far you move. You can move and then fire, or you could fire and then move, Or you may not want to fire at all and just move. So when you move your jet, you lay the card you picked, roll the number of black dice, and if you want to fire at a plane, you pick which weapon you want to fire. Then you roll the number of red dice to see if you can hit. For example, we said there are eight cannon fire shots, right? Let's say you just use cannon fire. You only roll two dice and you add up the total. And remember I said the black dice have a one, two, or three on them. So it could be anywhere from two to six places away when you roll those dice. You add them up and that's how far you can shoot. Cannons only fire straight or diagonally, but then missiles, you've seen Top Gun, right? They shoot the missile and it chases after the plane, like kind of heat sinking. It bends. They can go anywhere. Yeah, Yeah. right. So they curve. (laughs) Uh, With missiles, you roll three dice for medium range, and then on long range, you get to roll four dice to see if you can hit really far away. If you hit another plane, then you roll four black dice. You add up that total, and then you look at that battle board where the pegs are, and there's different areas of the plane that have different numbers on them. Now, the wing is the easiest one to hit. It takes four hits to destroy the plane. It's seven, eight, or nine are the numbers you have to roll to hit the wing. But the cockpit, if you roll a four on all four dice, so four ones, you hit the cockpit, boom, gone immediately, right, in one roll. (laughs) That just happened to you last week, didn't it? It did. (laughs) (laughs) His uh, son, Lorenzo, just took out the cockpit with one roll. Now, uh, what's also (laughs) really, really cool about this game is not only the simplicity of it, But this really cool movement thing, when you get to the top of the board, because you're flying your plane left or right, but you're flying up, when you get to the top of the board, you look at the number that's on that space, and it matches a number on a different space on the bottom of the board, and your jet loops back to the bottom, entering on that space. It's kind of like the sides on Pac-Man, when you go out one side of
1: Pac-Man and you come to the other side of the board. That's right. It's kind of like that. It's a looping board. Nope pun intended,
0: but hey, (laughs) good one, Andy loop. So thanks Casey. You have two flares. This is the other, the other two pegs in your board. You have two flares that you could use as a defense against a missile attack. So let's say, uh, Andy is rolling a long range missile attack. He rolls four dice. It's coming up to hit me, but before he rolls those dice, I'm, I say, I'm going to drop a flare and I could drop a flare. He rolls his red dice and it gets rid of the highest die on there. So maybe the missile just won't reach me. It'll hit that flare. So that's it. You go back and forth and back and forth until one color is victorious and you rule the skies.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Now, wait a second. I have to pause because I think when everybody chooses their card, their maneuver card, they put it face down oh wait a minute that sounds really familiar to is me it
0: simultaneous action selection game it, it is, is. Yeah. <laughs> in
1: 1987 right you said that that's, that's funny right. that 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 i didn't even realize that we when we played that so many years ago and now this the it actually has a name it didn't have a name back then now it does no it was like everybody pick a card and we're gonna to to flip it over at the same time. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's was what it was called. Or, or, well, in this case, you flip it over at different times, right? When you move your plane. Oh, that's true. But you can't change your decision. Like you. That's yeah, true. You choose your card. You put it down in your little cool. It's like it's cool. It's got this little cockpit area where the card fits, and it looks like a digital readout of a cockpit. But yeah, it has to stay there until you reveal it. Yeah, it's a
0: very quick game, but also it's a little strategic. You can add uh, this advanced rule, which I remember. Like, I specifically remember when you and I were playing, we're like, let's do the advanced rule. Yeah. And it's, it's very simple. The planes on top of the stand will angle. So if you they tilt. bend they right, tilt. they tilt. Yeah. <laughs> so they tilt showing that you're banking to the right. So that means you can't bank left immediately on the next turn when you choose your command card. You'll have to go back to the straight and then go left. You can't just go wah, wah. It's
1: really, really great. Great game.
0: Simple and fun. And I know you just played last week with Lorenzo. How did that go?
1: It was great. We had a blast. Now, Lorenzo's played some upper-level miniature games. Like, he's played X-Wing and things like that. For right. for folks who don't know what that is, that's kind of a little bit of a higher-level miniature game where you fly around and shoot at each other with, with Star Wars stuff. So that being said, Lorenzo was immediately captivated because of the way the board works. You don't just get to move anywhere. You have to move in a certain line dictated by the card. Right. But that looping board really provides this really interesting strategy and kind of brain bird because it's like, if I move too far, I'm going to go across the other side of the board and I'm going to come out the other side and I'm going to come out right in front of you. So maybe I don't go too far. Right. It really was cool. And that was my memory of playing with you is I could not figure out how to get behind you. You were like always behind me. (sighs) And I could never fire. And you would always be behind <laughs> me. I like, oh, what am I doing wrong? So that was it. Uh, Lorenzo, he did roll a natural four on five black dice and blew one of my planes out uh, immediately by hitting the cockpit. Excellent. Um, and eventually uh, he did win. Actually, he won. So cool. again, it, it was really accessible, but you could tell he really wanted to play again um, and how to manage your armaments mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like you have a certain number of pegs that you can only spell. And I, I think having pegs in a little handheld board board reminds me of so many games from the 80s. Yes. that's like you take those little pegs, and everybody knows them. I, I, everybody who's played Battleship.
0: Yes, that's exactly it.
1: You know right. what pegs we're talking about. They're the little ones. They have a little big part on the top and a teeny part on the bottom that fits into a little hole. So many games in the 80s used these to track information, Battleship being the most famous. So, yeah, um, yeah it, was, <laughs> it was great. This is definitely a game that anyone
0: can play. Um It's simple. Yeah. The rules are simple. The strategy is there. And looking online, I mean, they, they don't print it anymore, um, but you can find it on eBay. And I found a couple right now for like 25 bucks.
1: Yeah, that's great. So
0: it's everywhere. Yeah, it's just a great one. Screaming Eagles.
1: So for older gamers like us, it has a really great sentimental value. But if you are a father or a mother with a daughter or son who really is like into if they saw the Top Gun movie or if they really are interested in that kind of thing, it's really easy and accessible and really actually has got cool components. It does. it, It puts you right in it because, like I said, the board is printed with this really cool cockpit. And the, the cards and the planes are cool. Like we said, and the, the dice, it's just great. Screaming Eagles roar into combat
0: with this action packed air assault game from 1987. There's our vintage view and a little bit of our childhood.
1: Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Thanks for the look back. That was great. Yeah, that's good. I think I'll go play it again.
0: So that's our vintage view, and that's our podcast. Thank you for listening to our show, Anyone's Game with KC and Andy. Remember to like us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, all that. Please tell your friends to listen. You can hear this anywhere you get your podcasts. And on the next episode, what are we featuring, Andy? We are featuring
1: two more not-so-new games and a this just in game which is yes the ticker tape is is coming out of the little machine which no one has those anymore but anyway we have a common theme amongst those three games and it is culinary
0: i was gonna say food and you got fancy and said culinary
1: yeah i got all fancy and used a big word yes it's all about food games that feature food are about food And that you can eat food while playing. (laughs) We'll see you on the next (laughs) episode of Anyone's Anyone's Game Game with with Casey and Andy. Andy. And remember, here's hoping that everyone plays games that anyone can play.